This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Oil and Gas Startups. Got a uh, got a good show today. We got the guys from Park. We've got Cody and Walker down from Austin, Texas, right? Austin, Texas, and Cody lives here. Yeah, I'm in H Town. Oh, you are in H yeah. Town. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool. Is that an Aggie ring too? That is an Aggie ring. All right, so, 2012, twelfth man. All right, so it comes together. All of our uh, Aggie listeners, the cult out there can uh, can relate with you. I grew so. up in Call Station. <laughs> I was I was groomed to get sucked into the cults. <laughs> The school system is the A and M consolidated school system. So your whole life, they're like, you were going to the cult, like school field trips, like six times a week, like it was crazy. And I fought it off mostly because I failed at a blend, which is really hard to do. And then I put the ring for so that'll do it. So we also us. got an Aggie right here in Walker. Yeah, I oh, so we got two Aggies. Oh, no. Walker was keeping quiet for yeah. a minute. He's like, oh, I just wanted to see how the crowd was going to play out. <laughs> how many Aggies did it take yeah. to screw yeah. the light bulb? <laughs> Walker intentionally doesn't wear his ring so that he can catch people off guard. Yeah, there you go. That's what I was going to say. I didn't see the ring, so. You like bait people for, sure. for like the Aggie haters and you're like, oh, oh yeah. Now, <laughs> really, now I know. <laughs> now I know that I, I don't like you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so guys, tell me what park is. I know uh, you mentioned that you're in Greentown Labs. Um, right. So we can talk about that in a minute. But um, just give us a high level overview of what, what you guys do at park. Mark, you want to take it? I sure will. So we playing in the energy space before we started this business recognize this really kind of happened with COVID, but we just took a step back and said, hey, what does vendor relationship management look like? So COVID hits, I'm sorry, I hit the table a couple of times. <laughs> so that's fantastic. We're off to a good start. Um, our listeners, we give a set of rules. We have about two rules. One of them is don't bang on the table. So it's like, I don't know if you do my hands. Yeah. The car ran real good. We're two Aggies and we follow instructions improperly. Um, but Anyways, so COVID hits, supply chains are totally disrupted. And our view, our thesis was, this isn't going to subside anytime soon. And there was also this narrative around reglobalization of supply chains. And so when we started interviewing different potential customers, we recognized that procurement teams didn't have any tools in place. It was kind of like the forgotten people. They didn't have any tools in place to go and manage their current vendors and then leverage that digital footprint of their vendor base to go and find alternative vendors. And now, and then the ESG and sustainability component comes into play. And so now these larger EPCs or even public companies are being mandated to go and work with a diverse set of vendors or a local set of sub vendors or whatever it is. And there's just total opacity across the entire space. And so after digging in a little bit further to see how these people were interacting with their vendors, we recognized some parallels between how salespeople used to approach their customers. And it was very um, art form driven. Like, let me remember to call Jake and ask him about his family or call Colin and see how his dog's doing or whatever it was on like an irregular basis. And our human, like the way our minds work is pretty irregular and there's no, it's hard like pattern recognition. Let's leave that to the computers. And so that was then turned into a um, science through customer relationship management, CRM. Well, there. It was all too similar the way that procurement supply chain people were interacting with vendors. And we thought, hey, I think we can go and fix this. Um, And so we've started off with matching buyers with more vendors and doing on like a much deeper level than just like, hey, here's the company. 
we go and aggregate over 100,000 public data points on different vendors to allow your team to go and quickly find new and alternative vendors, diverse vendors, more sustainable vendors. And then there's this broader roadmap that we have for the next five years as far as building out this holistic vendor relationship management um, suite of tools. So give me an idea of who are the vendors and buyers that you guys are building for. I know you're in the energy space, but I mean, you know, I'm familiar with oil and gas uh, supply chains and procurement, you know, tons of problems there, right? Um, are you guys, is this oil and gas? Is it, um, you know, in renewables? Is it in utilities, you know, transformers, things of that nature? Because I know there's a lot of issues over there. How do you guys think about um, who the product's actually built for? Yeah, I mean, is, there built from the, is it built for the energy industry as a whole? Yeah, Cody. Yeah, so, and we spent a lot of time thinking about this. I guess to kind of preface, we are not like specific to any portion of the industry, right? Upstream oil and gas, midstream, downstream, refining, maritime, um, renewables, utilities, solar farms, like whatever it is, you have buyers and you have vendors. And a lot of the times the vendors are also buyers themselves, right? They have a supply chain mm -hmm. in which they're interacting with that is also broken. Um, and so the answer to your question is, it is essentially across the entirety of the energy space. Um, I think long-term we have this vision of, of possibly um, taking down like different verticals in other industries. But today, I mean, we, we're a startup, we have a laser focus. Our background is in energy, you know, so like to kind of, you know, further the idea of where this came from, Walker and I were both on the vendor side for many years. Have either of you ever been a salesman in the oil and gas space? No, mm -hmm. I'm the one drilling the wells. Yeah, so, um, I mean, we spent, I spent 10 years doing that. And 10 years in sales or in? 10 years in sales in the oil and gas space. Okay. Um, you know, primarily in the upstream facilities world. Okay. You know, so what no, were you selling? Uh, we were manufacturing equipment, so like separators and heater okay. treaters. And, and like my kind of specialty was more around highly engineered products and going mm -hmm. and like solving problems, you know, okay. providing solutions. But as a vendor, I think that um, the buyers think that there's a partnership and, you know, through the ups and downs of the industry, you know, Walker and I kind of came together and both exemplified this idea that that partnership didn't, didn't actually exist. You know, we were just a cog in the wheel. We were just a price inside of an Excel sheet. And that was kind of part of this like vendor relationship management is like, how do we take away that opacity? How do we make it more transparent? And how do we empower both sides to actually build a relationship towards something that may not just necessarily be a number and a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. right? How do we empower that relationship between them two and let them actually get to know one another? Because that's really what the vendors want at the end of the day. And the buyers say they want that, but they're not actually incentivized to go and do it. Mm -hmm. So enter Park. That's actually where the name comes from. And there's a couple of different derivatives from this, but Vilfredo Pareto is an Italian economist who I studied in college and he talks a lot about perfect markets. Mm -hmm. And so par beginning part of his last name, but also par in Latin means equal. And so when we on the vendor side of things, we work for this, or I'd work for this private equity backed oilfield services roll up was thinking, hey, what information, what data can we go and gather and provide to both sides of the equation to make this not just a more, yeah, a more equal relationship in the sense of like, if I need a push, you need a pull. And if you need a 
push than all pull? And how do we kind of create some kind of like symbiosis around these buyer vendor relationships where it has been historically very one-sided as the pendulum swings in the energy space? Um, and so that's, people are like, where the heck did you guys come up with park? But that's a lot of, that's really where it's from. Yeah. I like hearing people's thoughts on where they come up with names. Some people mm -hmm. have like really thought out meaning so names, which I'll have. And some other people are like, like we came up with digital walk headers one time in a coffee shop. Like, dude, that was dope. And we just bought the domain in case we ever used it. <laughs> then it became the YouTube channel. And then we're like, oh yeah, this is, there's something to do this. Um, so, all right. I want to dive into the problems in, in procurement and supply chains, because there's a lot happening right now with, I mean, post COVID, right? I mean, I'm not going to get into this, but hopefully everyone agrees that we should never lock down society again because the bullwhip effects that we have after Pretty that. Significant. I mean, to get the chip very, shortage is probably the most notable thing. To, I mean, you can't buy cars anywhere. You can drive past Ford, Dodge. It doesn't matter. They have absolutely empty parking lots. But I mean, lots. that's just like surface level. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, the thing and everyone's like, well, I don't oil and gas companies just drill more. I'm like, you can't get casing. Yeah, you can't get tubing and that's equipment, you know, then go over to the personnel side. There's no people, you know, there's no frack spreads. There's no rigs because they don't have staff. And so, you know, I, uh, I don't know if you guys know freight waves or not, um, but I'm good friends with them. And I've, ever since I got to know them, I've really nerded out on supply chain um, because it's so supply chain is so closely related to energy and it's important to kind of have a holistic. Both are crucial. Um, yeah, it, it's important to have a holistic understanding of both. But in these uh, oil and gas companies, you know, I've seen a lot of startups uh, come and go. And, you know, a lot of people had ideas of like, oh, you know, we can right off of e-commerce and create marketplaces where you can actually procure and buy equipment. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, like someone going to buy a 10,000 PSI wellhead <laughs> off, yeah, of, off of the internet. Like, yeah, that's like, yeah. <laughs> buy a $10 million <laughs> frack spread yeah. with my credit card online. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if that's it. And then, you know, you look at like more kind of like operating systems for, um, you know, creating efficiencies. I love, you know, where y'all got the name from, like, you know, really thinking about efficient markets and things of that nature, because when you think of how humans deal with each other and kind of alluding to your point where it's very relationship based and it's kind of more of an art, but there's a lot of inefficiency in that process. Right. And so ultimately you guys are thinking like, Hey, how do we take both sides of this market and create an, a more efficient path to where there's transparency? Um, I'm sure there's time efficiencies gained to where you can just go in. So give me a use case of how you guys like really see, like think about, let's use an upstream example. Um, since that's what I'm more familiar with, someone's building a tank battery. You know, I'm an engineer, I'm building this tank battery how do I utilize the platform? And on the flip side, you're the actual vendor. How are they, how are they utilizing the platform? So the way that we built it, we can use upstream or midstream, but we effectively recognize that in this particular space, people don't want software to sit in between. Like the relationships really do matter within the energy space. It's important. Yeah. It's vital. And so historically there have been startups that have come in and said, Hey, we're going to create this badass platform. We're going to sit in between. You're going to give us your data and then we're going to 
do our black magic and then uh, coagulate it and give it back to the buyers or the other side. And we were like, we've been on the vendor side. We recognize that a low portion of vendors are going to want to enter information like that. And so what is the like biggest beachhead inefficiency that right now is going on from a buyer's perspective? You're trying to find a tank battery. You have been historically going to one vendor, or let's say you've been historically getting pricing from three vendors, but you've been buying from one. And the only reason you get pricing from those other vendors is to make sure you're not getting like totally screwed to the ballpark. And what we recognized was the actual efficiency gain comes from when you get like five to six different quotes. That's when you actually start to see, oh, these three vendors have all been quoting me a dollar for the last five years. And then when I go to a broader subset of the market, it's actually at 50 cents. I had no idea. But everyone's for some reason triangulated around three different vendors. Well, now those vendors don't actually, those three you've always gone to don't have what you're looking for. They can't get steel. They don't have the people to come in and actually build whatever it is you're looking for. And so buyers, the conundrum, the again, kind of beachhead for this is which other vendors are out there? Who else is reputable? Who else is qualified? And so that's where we started was, okay, buyer, yeah, you've got your three vendors that you go to for XYZ um, piece of equipment or whatever it is or service, but who else is out there? And Cody and I would get called, Cody more than me. I mean, we'd get called five to 10 times a day. We still do. Hey, you guys know anyone who does this or you know anyone who does that? Or do you have the phone number for a person at XYZ company? And we took a step back and said, this is insane. We get a phone call. It takes 30 minutes for us to go and listen to that request. We then go and look through our phone book. We have to call a couple of different people, try and figure out who's got what. And the inefficiency was so magnificent that we just said, hey, what if that buyer, that engineer, whomever it is, the procurement person, supply chain person could quickly log on, type in metadata search for whatever it is they're looking for. And then we can go and run that search across this subset of, we, I think we've got about now 15,000 vendors. If we don't have a vendor for something you're looking for, then 24 hours will return back um, a list of 10 to 20 vendors within a particular area that you're looking for. And so think of it as like, and this is again, the beachhead, like where we've started and what's picked up most traction is here is something that is like, instead of you going on Google, trying to like call a corporate number and email a sales at manufacturingcompany.com, having all the contact information. So you identify a company, you've got all their salespeople's contact information, which we're pulling in all public data. And so that's the beauty in this. Is well, that's what I was going to ask is how did you guys go about uh, building up a database of 15,000 vendors? Was so this public information that you're able to scrape? Did you do it one by one? Um, and it sounds like it was public, so maybe y'all were able to, to scrape it and pull it in. But is that like something? Black magic. Yeah. <laughs> secret <laughs> like, sauce. Yeah. Okay, that's the secret yeah. sauce. I'm not fucking telling you that but most, How are you getting like a catalog of essentially called SKUs, right? Of anything? Is we're it, not using SKUs. You don't need them. You don't need them? No, because when you're looking for a vendor, you're not asking like, hey, vendor, do you have this SKU? The person who's looking for XYZ item or input item or material doesn't know the SKUs themselves. Mm. And so that's like... That's actually been one of the most revolution, or um, not revolutionary, but kind of hit us in the forehead because that was the initial question. We were like, okay, let's go and get all these SKUs and then we're gonna have to scrape that and create this master SKU list and yada, yada, yada. But when we took a step back and started to actually ask these buyers, like, hey, what is it you are, when you're looking for some vendor who does X, what are you communicating to the vendor that you're looking for whatever it is? And we took over 50,000 
input request and it was not a skew was mentioned, but maybe like 4% of the time. So yeah. that, that's really confusing to me because I'm thinking about like, I had something break in my Jeep and I got to go find a part, yeah. right? So my vendor kind of ecosystem would be limited based on where I could kind of find that skew. So if they're not using that as data to narrow down exactly who they should be talking to outside of maybe their existing relationships, what are they using? Metal fabricator in XYZ area, uh, heater treater units in this geographic location, it's like a so it's higher more geographically level driven than layer of search. It's going to be geographically driven. And then they're going to be like, I need a two and seven eighths by two and three eighths switch. Like some yeah, way. Yeah. And but that's going to be hard for you guys like on the back end because you have all of, and you know, we kind of, we kind of relate, you know, with our app that we've built in the tagging of information is that if you don't have standardized uh, data and requests, it does become hard because you could have two people that are searching for the same thing and they may not may they probably are going to use two different, uh, different search requests yeah, yeah yeah so how do how are you guys able to index that and um you know quantify that hey this person's looking for this what they mean is this and we got five vendors in that area that's got to be hard <laughs> so yeah and that was like that was a part of the large challenge that was part of the problem space that we were saying hey we can't just go and build this based off some like antiquated, I mean, it's a huge reason why we're located in Austin and A, why we hire the technical developer, um, the technical talent that we do is because of this. And so we actually, one of the early Google people in Austin who is at Bizarre Voice and um, is one of our advisors and works with us who helped write the search engine around mm -hmm. Google and what they're using, like that was part of, Yeah, you know, I say black magic, but uh, yeah. without going into further detail, yeah. That's, yeah. that's exactly like, yeah, I mean that's where the value proposition is in terms of you know where's where's the value in the tech mm -hmm. is that I mean you look at Google, it's funny you know when Google came out, um, I mean it seems like you guys are um, same age as me, um, but when Google came out, I mean Google was late to the game in terms of search engines. Mm -hmm. You know the twenty sixth, I think. Yeah, I mean, you like, had Ask Jeeves, Dogpile. Ooh, Ask Jeeves. Oh. A, little, a little butler guy. I'm like, yeah. man, he could find anything. Now, y'all remember y'all hooligans? Y'all remember y'all hooligans? Did y'all yeah. ever use that? I don't so, think I ever used that. Yeah, y'all hooligans was from Yahoo, but it was made for kids. Is that and only so, in Midland? No, I mean, no. this is actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah got, got some weird shit out in Midland. Um, but, I mean, Google wasn't first of the game, but I mean, just their indexing and search was so much better than everyone else's mm -hmm. that um, they were able to, to take over. So And strengthened by user input. And yeah. that's a huge component of, of yeah. the tech of what we're building. Yeah. I mean, y'all are going to learn over time as you get more input and more data, um, which is going to uh, solidify and uh, make the uh, database and search query higher quality. Um so that's super interesting. I think also like one of the really interesting pieces that we're finding right now, and this is just kind of like macro view. I think this is probably like a medium term problem. I think, you know, some people may think it's a longer term, but you know, you mentioned like drill pipe or components or, or tubing or something, you know, say we have like 3000 uh, tubing distributors on our platform. And you, the buyer, know like 10. And so you go out to all the 10 people you know, and they don't have what you're looking for. One of the benefits of coming to us and like one of the benefits of kind of building out this curated vendor search tool, as well as having the database behind it that we're going and qualifying people and adding more people all the time, is this kind of community effect where 
we may have 3,000 people that have this stuff and you know, 200 of them actually have like one joint of the thing that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so we can go get all 200 of them and get one joint from each of them. <laughs> Build a whole string yeah. across 200 vendors. Yeah, <laughs> And that's kind of, I think, in the medium term, some of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. You know, I've seen it recently with some of our uh, customers around like Kimray valves, right? So they go and go to a distributor in town and three people that, that they know from their like AML or something. And none of them have it. So they say, okay, Mr. Customer, it's going to take 26 weeks for me to build your, you know, your thing, whatever yeah. I'm building for you. Well, you know, we have like 300 distributors that all have this stuff and, you know, you need 50 of these valves. I can go to all 300 and I can find 50 across 300 and get them, get yeah. them in. And I think through that kind of like collaboration, you know, economy of scale through tech in the medium term, that is like a piece of the solution to the supply chain issue yeah. that we're currently seeing. Yeah, I mean, you know, these problems existed before COVID, right? Um, you know, my job, I was responsible for sourcing different tools for a job. They were rentals we weren't buying, but, you know, I'm working across the Western Hemisphere, so I got to find one and a half inch CS hydral tubing up in fucking, you know, the Marcellus. And how am I supposed <laughs> to find that, you know? Like Ash a big geez. part. Yeah, but yeah, that's, geez, I'm getting on Yahoo Hooligans. Big part of my job was getting on the phone with vendors and it's a pretty painful process. And I got a call, I'm like, oh, this guy has, you know, 50 joints. <laughs> I got another 70 over here. And so I actually like that part of, if you can utilize technology to source from multiple entities or vendors, that's actually really interesting yeah, to me. Imagine being one of three procurement people in an organization with like, uh, you know, a billion dollar CapEx. Yeah. And you're doing that for every project. Yeah. And you're doing that right now for every component. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, yeah. <laughs> you can't achieve success that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So let's talk about um, the creation of the company. I mean, it sounds like you guys really started thinking about it um, during COVID. That was kind of the inception of it. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. I was asking our portfolio companies this question. Hey, what are we doing to lower our costs because revenue is being compressed? Yeah. And this is again within the energy services space. Um, and once I spoke to all of them about, well, I'm calling Google or I'm searching on Google, I'm calling around, I'm trying to find other suppliers, can't find anything. Prices are increasing, but like, don't worry. This is all going to subside once COVID's finished. And when you started to look at what some of the larger organizations or larger fortune, um, 500 plus companies were doing is they're rewiring their supply chains. And if you think about what, how long it took us to start depending on the Eastern hemisphere for supply chains, I mean, that occurred over 30 years. Mm -hmm. But if you go back before then, we weren't doing that. We were making things made in America. Yeah. And then we totally shifted, took 30 years. And so we had this hypothesis that, hey, this is going to last for the next 15 to 20 to 30 years, this rewiring of supply chains. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Mexico. I think like there's a mega opportunity down in Mexico. And I was working with some manufacturers down there on a couple of projects. And I was like, man, if we could play a part in helping people, step one, and this is like just to get us in the door, start generating revenue, help people find new and alternative vendors more sustainable vendors, more diverse vendors by way of certifications and things like this. If we can help them find those people, what else can we go and do as this entire rewiring of the global supply chains taking place? Yeah. 
I, it's funny. We were on the same wavelength there. Um, cause I was going to bring up Mexico and the rewiring of global supply chains. Um, so Craig Fuller, the CEO of freight waves the other day, um, had put out a tweet and something about manufacturing moving out of China to your point, it took 30 years for that to build up. Right. And it's going to take another 30 if we, if we shift anywhere else, but you look at Mexico and Mexico is competitive on pricing. It's I right mean, there. they're right there. You know, we have, um, what is it, NAFTA um, trade agreement? Yeah. And uh, so with the ESG, it's our environmental responsibility to move to Mexico. Yeah. It really, yeah. Mm, I mean, think about all the shipping and then the things like just that. emissions reductions from transportation for sure. Yeah. I mean, vessels are one of the highest contributors to CO2 emissions. Um, and they have and a ton of skilled labor down there. That's what I was about to get to the people. Like, if you haven't spent time down in Mexico, fucking amazing people, they have the skill. They're hardest workers. Amazing food. Amazing amazing bikes. food. What else do you want? <laughs> That's it. I'm so fucking <laughs> yeah, bullish. I'm so fucking <laughs> bullish on Mexico yeah, in likewise. their manufacturing. Uh, so actually, um, I'd acquired this uh, small e-commerce business, and it was a, uh, a marijuana um smoking device and it was a one hitter so you had that's like a really like technical way i a marijuana uh, smoking yeah, device smoking. it's a one hitter it's a little, <laughs> yeah, a little dugout one. you know what i mean yeah except it was fucking high end of shit it's not we're not talking this cheap wood plastic shit that you get from uh, china cnc machined in the united states and so super sleek you know sold it for 80 dollar price point i mean it was a good product but the problem was is i can only manufacture like 500 units at a time mm. using a cnc machine process in the united states and so i had to try to figure out a way to do this cheaper and i went down to mexico because i was like hey i hear you know they're already doing like big things in aerospace mm -hmm. and in the auto industry and so you look at it like oil and gas and energy it's like well why are we not manufacturing that shit mm -hmm. down in mexico uh <clears throat> it, that's a, a no-brainer so i think that it's a win-win for us in mexico yeah thank you do you want to geek out about um some amazing manufacturing down in mexico you need to talk to the guys at steelmation you know those guys no i don't know them mm. oh yeah so we met <clears throat> the president his name is shelby this was like really early on and just phenomenal guy and has an amazing story. Any dude that's named um, Shelby is always like yeah. just Shelby Aman is his name. It's like Carol Shelby, Tommy Shelby. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's like, high correlation <laughs> between being a dude named Shelby and just being a really interesting, being successful awesome. person. Yeah. Yeah. So you should, uh, if you're interested in just kind of geeking out about Mexico manufacturing, you should, you guys should have him on because oh, yeah, he's for a sure. very interesting guy and they have, yeah some pretty amazing technology. Yeah. So that's, you know, there's a lot happening on a macro perspective in supply chains. And then, you know, energy's just gone front and center to that, right? I mean, you're in an energy crunch. You have a lot of politics being played here in the United States, administration saying this is oil and gas fault. They won't produce. You have oil and gas, which knows why they can't produce it's like hey we couldn't drill wells even if we fucking wanted to we don't mm -hmm. have we don't have the equipment to to go do it and you're you know also having this problem in renewables as well and in utilities you know all these bitcoin miners want to build in texas and you can't because you have uh interconnect problems you know mm -hmm. you can't you can't build out substations and so it runs across the gamut uh for energy so it's a really big problem uh, to solve, to say the least. Well, and so when we, by way of our background, like we go focused within the oil and gas space and specifically, again, this is by way of our background, but like midstream upstream, that's just where we had some relationships. 
one kind of interesting component of this, we um, one of our early stage customers were they were looking for more vendors with a particular project. We went out to their current vendors, or we went out to new vendors for them. And or helped them find new vendors. And then those vendors came back and said, hey, what is this? And we said, well, it's just helping you find alternate sources for whatever input materials you're buying. And they said, hey, can we use this? And we were like, yeah, for sure. And again, we're just flipping rocks. We're doing whatever it takes to go and get this business off the ground. Well, we ended up penetrating four layers of the supply chain. And there, I'm not going to explain or like go too far down this rabbit hole, but that is like the golden goose. And everyone's trying to figure out how do I go and get deeper visibility into my supply chain all the way back to the OEMs to see where these materials are being sourced from. And by way of the data that we collected through this particular trial, we were like, oh, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it can go and trickle down the supply chain and create that visibility um, that people are looking for. But focusing on oil and gas, the energy component, talking with um, a handful of businesses that are playing strictly within the renewable space, and they're looking for batteries and different components to build out their solar farms or their wind farms or whatever it is. A, there's a ton of overlap for the vendor base that supports oil and gas, which is fantastic. Now we're helping diversify these vendors' revenue streams away from strictly energy, mm-hmm. which is good in any business. Go and have a re- um, diverse basket of revenue. But B, they're also now, because of um, trade regulations, aren't able to find some of the components they've historically purchased from the Eastern Hemisphere. And so now we're helping them identify vendors that can build those components, but may not offer them today. And so there's actually this really cool birth of new business unit, business lines, revenue lines for these businesses that we, um, it's not just like, hey, vendors go and like sign up to our platform. This is like every other, like not marketplace, but like software platform in the space is, hey, vendor, I recognize your balance sheet's tiny, but like if you want to partake with us, cost of doing business, you're going to sign up to this platform. It's going to add you like zero value to you and we're going to charge you for it. And the vendors, which we were historically, were stifled by that always and quite perplexed. And so we said, hey, we're not going to charge vendors. We can go collect all this information publicly. If they want to come on the platform and enrich it, that's fantastic. If they want to go and um, enhance their profile, awesome. But let's go. Like the buyers are the ones who are paying. They're the ones with the largest balance sheets and they're the ones who have the capital to go and fix these problems. But yeah. Like you said that the the vendors themselves can also be buyers in the platform. Precisely. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, you think about that, that's kind of the, one of the things somebody said early on was like using you, being on your platform is like an, is like having a hundred sales guys that work for us for free. Um, Early on, when we and then were kind we didn't of, have to do anything. We're pulling all this data, cleaning it ourselves. Yeah, I mean, when we first started, kind of making inroads and like talking with folks in the renewable space and just kind of alternative energies, we we were asking them these same questions: Who are you guys using? You know, a, a lot of them are just like, yeah, we just use EPC firms because we have no idea who builds this stuff. And so we started going back to a lot of the people that we had relationships with and just asking them, hey, if we could get you introductions into the renewables or the alternative energy space, would you guys be interested? And they're like, my gosh, I would love nothing more than to to diversify our business and not have 100% of it in like directly tied to the the wellhead because we don't know internally how do we diversify it because our salespeople only know people in the oil and gas space. And guess what? I don't have the balance sheet to go and hire like three or four guys that have spent the last you know, 10 years selling to wind farms or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
And so they just simply don't have an outlet to go and diversify and to go and just make an entrance into these industries. And through a platform, they can have that. So it's kind of, it's just interesting to see the dynamic as we continue to grow and work with these people and just kind of figuring out what solutions are we providing to somebody um, as we learn more about like what problems are they actually having. Yeah. So tell me about real quick, you know, I'm always interested to hear about how people actually build things. Um, so y'all are in Greentown Labs. Did y'all raise any funding uh, to build the platform to where you guys are at? Did you bootstrap it? You plan on raising funding? Kind of give us give us some insight to how y'all built this. We um, we raised a pre-seed round last year, Q2, and that was off of a deck and hypothesis. And then we hired a couple of folks. There was four of us or five of us really through the balance of, of last year. And then on um, after a couple of big wins with some public companies, went and raised a seed round of funding. And we've been pretty stealth mode about it uh, because of like, A, the macro. I'm quite grateful we raised when we did. We got a lot of good advice from the folks who initially invested, but also just trying to see like how this VC space plays out and what it looks like and and who are the right people to partner with who are going to be most advantageous. Yeah, uh, I kind of feel for uh, founders that raised within the last year specifically, um, you know, raising 50, 60 million dollars at, you know, 300, 400 million dollar valuations. And it's hard not to take that when you get a term sheet for it, right? But now you're going to be in a bad spot if you don't go into that valuation pretty quickly. Well, and how, they, I mean, how would they know that like the prior 12 years of bull run, I guess really like 14 years of bull run markets were going to like stop on a dime. Time yeah. is everything. That's the one thing you can't control. You, know? you I say you no don't. control over it. I found my notebook from 2020 and one of my risks, this is right before Fed started injecting money, was that one of the biggest risks for digital wall cutters is that liquidity was going to dry up and we wouldn't be able to raise a series A. So if you pay attention to macroeconomics, you can see writing on the wall, but you can only have a bowl. <laughs> but <laughs> like that's exactly what happened in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but think back in 2017, a lot of investors pulled their money out of the market and were sitting there and saying, okay, really 2016, 2017. So that was the thesis without getting too far into the macro side. We should do another podcast on that because yeah. I geek out yeah. over it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I do too. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can we go and build a capital efficient business? Can we be prudent with our capital? And can we have strong unit economics? And that's like how we've been trained by people who grew up around the businesses that we worked within, the schooling that we've received. And so, yeah, there's a, a time and a place to go and pour fuel in the fire and go and grow mm -hmm. and, and and use those dollars um, more aggressively. And so we're just trying to listen to wisdom on that front. Yeah, for sure. I think mm -hmm. that's a really important message. You know, you... you take things into consideration that are happening on a macro perspective. You take in insight from other people and then you apply it to do the best, to your you, can. You, do the best you can. Yeah. 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 So man, this is uh, really interesting uh, to me. I like this space a lot. It sounds like you guys have some really cool technology on the back end um, that um, you know, is really driving this thing. That's the value proposition of it. So that's exciting. Um, if someone's listening to this and they're in oil and gas or they're in energy, how do they find you guys? What's what's the website? How do they start using the platform? www.parkhq.com or call me 817-692-0920. <laughs> oh, that's a hustle right there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've had uh, just calls I've, direct. Yeah, just call call direct. I think we've had email addresses. And, you heard uh, that, ladies? Get on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Please call us that. if you need supply chain software <laughs> yeah. and assistance. Supply chain outside of that. Call Cody. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all uh, making the trip uh, here to Wildcatters to get on the podcast, guys. If you're listening to the show and you're interested in checking out this platform, uh, we'll drop the link to the website down in the show notes. Appreciate y'all for making Appreciate the time to guys. do this. Yeah, thank it's you good. guys. This, guys great. this is awesome. Thank you. Come, 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 come.